and welcome to Meet Me in the Middle, the podcast that seeks to sift through um, wellness and health, among other topics, to try to find a middle ground. My name is Annika Buckle. My name is Jenny Omani, and if you are enjoying the podcast, we'd love an awesome review. Five stars is great. Maybe some kind words, sharing on social media. Everybody can link now. You all have the power. Uh, it's much appreciated. Awesome. So um, today I'm going to talk about something that's been uh, peppered over my social media feed throughout the last couple of weeks um, and that was kicked off originally by an article in the Washington Post. Before we start, though, I just want to call out today's content warnings. We're going to talk about food restriction, um, a little bit around disordered eating. So proceed with caution if that's not it for you today. <clears throat> I also just want to disclose that this episode was not paid for by the American Beverage Lobby Group or by the Canadian Sugar Institute, which will make sense later. All views in this episode are our own. And in fact, we're not taking any money from anyone at all to make this episode. I don't even know what we're talking about yet, so I can absolutely <laughs> say that I am not being bought or paid for. Um, okay, so we're going to talk today about a social media. I mean, it feels a bit hyperbolic to say scandal, but let's oh. maybe call it like a social media outrage that came up oh. a few weeks ago around registered dietitians and paid partnerships oh why do we i'm sorry dietitians can't make money on the internet anymore <laughs> everybody else is allowed to monetize but the dietitians oh well and that that's sums my up our first episode. thought on that <laughs> come on um I got excited when I decided that we should talk about this today because well I don't think this story in itself like, you know, to your point, Jenny, I think in a lot of ways for both you and I, it seems like maybe a pretty straight A to B. Um, I actually think it's going to give space for a larger discussion around middle ground in our kind of current capitalist hellscape. <laughs> um, so we're going to start with the initial story. We're going to take a little bit of a sidebar detour because I, as I <clears throat> I'm want to do, went down uh, a bit of a rabbit hole. Um, but then we'll tease out some more of the details about, you know, kind of the larger story as you just touched on. So on September 13th, the Washington Post ran an article called The Food Industry Pays Influencer Dietitians to Shape Your Eating Habits. I will, of course, link the original article in the show notes, but um, I'll kind of try to summarize it as best I can here. As I said, we're going to go on a little bit of tangents, uh, mostly to open, because honestly, the way the Washington Post talks about the science is, to quote my kid, sus. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so the whole thing seems to have been started this summer when the World Health Organization released the results of a new hazard and risk assessment of aspartame. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yep. Jenny, I'm going to have you read the first sentence of the Washington Post article, and then I'm going to follow up with the summary in the first paragraph of the WHO article. Oh, perfect. I, this is where you're always like, but what did they actually say? <laughs> what was the line before and what was the line after what the Washington One. Post hundred percent. Okay, so this is Washington Post. <clears throat> As the World Health Organization raised questions this summer about the risks of a popular artificial sweetener, a new hashtag began spreading on the social media accounts of health professionals. Hashtag safety of aspartame. Now, here's what the WHO article actually said. Quote, citing limited, limited evidence for carcinogenicity in humans, IARC classified aspartame as possibly carcinogenic to humans. Um, 
it says in brackets, IARC group 2B and bracket, and JECFA reaffirmed the acceptable daily intake of 40 milligrams per kilogram body weight. Yeah, I mean, so, it's all, it's the dose makes the poison for everything. We're going to we're going to talk about what group 2B means in just a minute, but um, just to kind of like give context, those numbers didn't really mean anything to me. Um, I have to admit, uh, I am embarrassed to say, but I have zero sense of how much a kilogram is, even though I lift weights in Canada. Oh. We still just talk <laughs> about it in pounds. Um, so if you're like me, um, a can, an average size 355 mil can of Diet Coke contains around 200 milligrams of aspartame. Mm-hmm. Let's assume you weigh 150 pounds. If the science indicates that up to 40 milligrams per kilo is safe, that's 2,720 milligrams a day, which would be about 14 Diet Cokes, assuming you is, have no yeah. other concerns. Exactly. Yeah. Now, let's even assume that you've had some other sources of aspartame that you're unaware of, which is very possible. It's sold under brand names Equal, NutraSweet, Sugar Twin. It's in most chewing gums and lots and lots of, quote, lower calorie sweets and desserts. Even assuming you have additional sources over the course of a day, drinking, let's say, nine Diet Cokes every single day. I mean, that's probably a separate issue from what mm-hmm. we're talking about anyhow. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And even if you like way less, so you're adjusted dosing maybe maybe it's only nine and then you can only have five diet cokes a day again i think it's this is a (laughs) separate conversation but i also just want to touch briefly on what that classification means the 2b um not that i necessarily want to spend this whole episode around safety of aspartame but i mean we're here so i think it lends color to what's really at issue Um, I'm going to drop the International Agency for Research on Cancer. That's the IARC that was referenced earlier. It's the WHO Cancer Research Arm chart into uh, the chat. And then I'm going to obviously link it in the show notes too. Um, If you can just give us a quick summary of what you're seeing, and then I'll talk about where aspartame fits into this. Uh, Okay. So it's color coded um, and it goes sort of, um, if you want to go top down, the top color is red, and this is also accompanies a scale. So it says, so red is group one, and that is a higher level of certainty. Um, and this is a hazard classification, I should say. So it's a higher level of certainty that whatever um, the substance that they're looking at is um, a hazard. So group one is carcinogenic to humans, um, and it is... It says it's sufficient evidence for uh, cancer in humans. So this is like for the examples they have are tobacco smoking, solar radiation, consumption of alcoholic beverages, um, ionizing radiation. Then below that is orange, which is group 2B, uh, probably carcinogenic to humans, which says limited evidence for cancer in humans, sufficient evidence in experimental animals. So this is from uh, their examples that are emissions from high temperature frying, DDT, DDT is only interesting. Okay. Consumption of red meat, night shift work. Don't even get me started on shift work. We are not compensated for <laughs> I, I that. It you, is a female dominated profession. That. I can't even. Okay. Anyways. Also, um, I just want to clarify this is group 2A that you're speaking That's 2A. Of, not... We are not at 2B yet. Yeah. yeah. So um, group 2B is possibly carcinogenic to humans. So 2A is probably and 2B is possibly carcinogenic to humans, limited evidence in humans, less than sufficient evidence in um, experimental animals. This is uh, the examples here are gasoline engine exhaust, occupational exposure as a hairdresser or barber, and lead 
Um, really? We don't have evidence that... Okay. I guess I carcinogenic. We know it's poisonous, but it doesn't right. cause cancer. Right. Okay. Exactly. And then I think that's the bottom group is that there's nothing. And I can I just say that my favorite thing about the bottom group examples, which is not classified as carcinogenic or as, as to its carcinogenicity to humans, is coffee. Thank <laughs> God they clarified that. Youth. <laughs> Woo. Um, so this classification puts aspartame in group 2B. And I just want to take a minute to highlight a few of the other things that are in group 2B, especially because I think aspartame kind of ends up as the whipping boy of the wellness world. Mm -hmm. So also in group 2B are all of the following. Ginkgo biloba extract, aloe vera extract, nice. working as a firefighter, getting HPV, I am not by any means advocating mm -hmm. we should not be mindful and aware of things that could possibly be carcinogenic, but I do really want to point out the hypocrisy and inconsistency of somebody shitting all over Diet Coke, but then adv advocating for using ginkgo biloba. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. The thing is, if we look at the summary of the science, what it shows is like pretty boring and not actually great news. Small doses, probably fine. Huge mm -hmm. doses, probably less fine, but like nobody's going to read that article. <laughs> No. And it's like so many things. Like I said, it's the dose that makes the poison, right? Like water is toxic. If you drink too much water too quickly, like that's, that's gonna be dangerous. So yeah, no shit. It's dose dependent. Um, so I just, I think that it's important to highlight that because an article like this can really incite a firestorm, which we're going to talk about in a minute, but I think it's important to take apart the way that they're reporting it sheds, you know, leads you to question where actually that's not necessarily what the WHO is saying at all. No. Um, so the Washington Post article goes on to talk about three American dietitians who are also social media influencers who all posted videos who talked about their own feelings regarding the safety of aspartame and all three of those influencers were also paid to post those videos by american beverage which is a trade and lobby group representing a number of companies including coca-cola and pepsico so this is from the article quote in all at least 35 posts from a dozen health professionals were part of the coordinated campaign by american beverage the trade group paid an undisclosed amount to 10 registered dietitians, as well as a physician and a fitness influencer to use their social media accounts to help blunt the WHO's claim that aspartame, a mainstay of Diet Coke and other sodas, is ineffective for weight loss and, quote, possibly carcinogenic, end quote. So I do want to talk for a quick minute about that line in there, quote, ineffective for weight loss. Mm -hmm. Because while we're on aspartame, I do want to call out something else that the WHO released in May. An article called WHO advises not to use non-sugar sweeteners for weight control. Again, I will link this in the show notes, but I'm just going to pop the intro to this into the chat. It says the World Health Organization has released a new guideline on non-sugar sweeteners. Um which we're going to, going forward, it's going to say NSS, which recommends uh, against the use of NSS to control body weight. The recommendation is based on the findings of a systematic review of the available evidence, which suggests that the use of NSS does not confer any long-term benefit in reducing body fat in adults or children. The recommendation applies to all people except individuals with pre-existing diabetes. Well, I was just going to say when we're going to talk about diabetes um, and includes a bunch of things I can't say. As, In, including 
Uh, I mean, aspartame <laughs> is in there, but there's another one called aceflame, aceflame. Anyways, the only ones I recognize are saccharin, sucralose, stevia, and stevia deriv- derivatives. But there's a few other random ones I've never heard of. So I think that it's really interesting that they include stevia in this because yeah. where aspartame is, you know, the whipping boy, I think stevia is kind of the darling of the wellness world, right? Oh, but it's natural. Right. So it's derived from a plant. and i think this is again it's really easy you demonize sugar you demonize aspartame you elevate stevia when Mm -hmm. you know the reality of what the data seems to indicate is that those are actually all very similar in terms of their category and then Mm -hmm. i also feel especially in this washington post article although i saw it a few other places that this report has really been conflated with the other report they were released just a few months apart is there a good reason not to avoid aspartame in small amounts? Sure. Is there a good reason to avoid it in small amounts? I think what we're getting to here is this idea of quote unquote weight control. But I would argue we actually need to be moving away from a discussion of health that conflates weight loss with health anyway. So these are really two different things. Yeah. And I think, I don't know about you, but I don't love the taste of the, like stevia is too sweet for me. Yeah. I don't well, and I think love aspartame, this... but I don't mind a Diet Coke. I got to be honest with you. Like nice, bubbly, well, crisp one. It's pretty delicious. You mean 14 a day? I don't know. Be careful. <laughs> or I got to cut down a bit. But I mean, I think the, the thing that gets missed a lot with a lot of the dietary stuff is these are really valuable products for diabetics, man. Mm-hmm. It's like if you if the only way you can have, you know, some of these more mainstream foods is if they have stevia or... Um, actually, I don't know. I don't know enough about stevia, but I know for aspartame, for sure, there, there, there are ways that diabetics can have treats essentially and not have to face deal with the, you know, the insulin and all the sort of things that come downstream from having treats. So it's kind of like a way of normalizing some food for people that can't eat the same way as other people. Well, and I think that that's such a good point because this is again where when we paint everything with such a broad brush, like yeah. this is uh, this is unhealthy for you. This is healthy for you. It doesn't work like that. Yeah. I mean, it partly doesn't work like that because of specific, you know, people's health needs. But again, as we always talk about, everybody is going to be different anyway, <laughs> whether you are diabetic mm-hmm. or not. And I think when mm-hmm. we demonize these things you know, imagine the pressure that, that this then puts on the mom of a diabetic kid that wants to be able to have, you know, some Halloween candy or something else, right? It's, what are you going to do? You're going to give your kid cancer if you let them have this. Well, you know, you could kill them if you don't. So where's the middle ground, right? Yeah, no, it just seems like, I don't know, it's these like sweeping generalized statements that like rarely work out well. (laughs) Right. Right. So I also just think like really quickly, let's touch on what a registered dietitian is and how they're different than nutritionists. We've talked about this a little bit before, but I just want to give a quick summary because I think it's kind of crucial to what we're talking about here. In short, a dietitian is an expert on diet and nutrition. The key is they're a regulated profession, which means you Mm -hmm. can't legally call yourself one without the proper accreditation. They'll have a degree in foods and nutrition from an accredited university program. They'll undergo comprehensive training, including a practicum, a national competence exam, although specifics vary by province. Mm -hmm. Many are master's programs too. Yeah. Yeah. Dietitian is a protected title across Canada, just like nurse, pharmacist. 
I also found it very interesting that nutritionist is actually a protected title in Alberta, Quebec, and Nova mm. Scotia, although not in any other province or territory. So mm. where a dietitian might have nutritionist in their job title, generally speaking, nutritionist can refer to any length of program or training simply yeah. because it's not regulated. You might have an incredible nutritionist who studied for years and is super knowledgeable, or you might have somebody who did like a weekend course. <laughs> yeah, the holistic nutritionist of the world. <clears throat> yep. Right. Um, I just think it's important that we call this out as we're talking about healthcare because it's important to be really clear about exactly what training somebody has. This is part mm -hmm. of the reason that this issue is such a hot button to call out because these are regulated professionals that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and I think if we do look at what the real concern from the article standpoint was, is that, hey, um, isn't it a conflict of interest for you to get paid to say something? I mean, and that's where the certification is so important because they have standards to uphold and they can lose their licensing if they are not upholding their, I don't know if they have a college or whatever their governing body is, but if they're not upholding their standards of practice, then they can lose their license. So yeah. I would actually argue that you would have people, especially that you said one was like a medical doctor, like same thing, like you can't make false claims. <laughs> You can't do stuff like that because there's checks and balances. So sure, they're getting paid, but they're also going to be really cognizant of the verbiage being used because they do have to uphold their licensing. Yeah. So let's do a deep dive into that because <clears throat> I think that that's really the crux of what we're looking at here. So mm -hmm. um, one of the posts they share next, I found really interesting because it's actually a Canadian account from right here in Vancouver where Jenny and I are located. Um this is registered dietitian Lindsay Plescott. Oh, love her. <laughs> There's my bias. I'm going to send you this. And if you can just read the text on the reel while you um, are watching it. Want to know the best way to cut sugar? In brackets, dietitian approved. With a knife, with my hands, even with my teeth. Perfect for soft, delicious treats like my new fave chocolate PB cups. But never out of my life. Sugar has been getting a bad rep for years. Thanks, diet culture. But villainizing sugar is the most surefire way to make you even more obsessed. We want what we can't have, right? Men in brackets add. So she's acknowledging this isn't a paid advertisement. Despite what we've been led to believe, sugar is non-toxic, is not toxic, and doesn't need to be avoided at all costs. What's actually worse than eating sugar is the guilt and stress we place on ourselves when we do eat it. Not only does this have negative mental and emotional effects, but it can have significant physical impacts too. There is truly room for all foods in a nourishing diet and allowing yourself to include them is the best thing you can do to stop obsessing. More on this in an upcoming blog. So let's talk about this for a minute. Lindsay is an intuitive eating dietitian. In her Instagram bio, she says, quote, helping you heal your relationship with food and, quote, feel good nutrition. We've talked before in depth about intuitive eating in our episode from December 2022. So if you haven't listened to that, go check it out. But her focus is that quote, all food has its place in nourishing and satisfying ways. Yep. Even pizza, pasta and ice cream. Yeah. So this is, um, I'm going to share another one of her posts from long before this article. And if you can just read the text, um, of the, like on the reel. Okay. It says how to eat clean, wash your veggies. More in caption. <laughs> so would this also classify as a quote message that runs counter to decades of scientific evidence about healthy eating? Because that's what the Washington Post is arguing. 
I do think it's important that we call out a potential conflict of interest because we can't find a middle ground without looking at all sides. Um, but as Jenny just read her, that first, you know, cutting sugar post, it says add in the text. She's tagged them in the post. So can mm -hmm. the Canadian it's, Sugar it's Institute a, shows yeah, up on top? Full spot. Um, we'll get to the comments in a minute because I think oh. it's, um, there's, there's a conversation there, but you know, let's talk about this idea that somebody whose focus is nutrition in a regulated industry, um, can never promote anything that they're actually being paid for. So, and they didn't promote any specific products. This is yes. We'll there's get to no, that. she didn't promote any products. It's she not did, like she followed all of the rules in terms of sponsored content. It's appropriately labeled as such she's used the features within instagram to show partnership but she hasn't actually like if you watch the reel like there's no labels there's no like there's net there's no like product shots right i mean this is the cool thing about a regulated industry is that there's a ton of information about ethics and lots and lots of guidelines about mm -hmm. what is and is not okay now i'm gonna speak specifically to the college of dietitians of british columbia which is the regulatory body that governs Lindsay specifically um and you know it is not dramatically different in other canadian provinces i can't speak to the u.s i didn't dive into that in the same way but um, no, but they just love suing each other. So I'm yeah. sure it is different <laughs> or litigious, whatever the reason. <laughs> right, right. Um, there are pages and pages of marketing standards on the um, College of Dietitians of BC. Um, I will link it in the show notes if you're curious about their conflict of interest in sales questions and answers. Um, but I just want to highlight this one question, quote, can a private practice dietitian become partnered with food brands and companies? Answer. Yes, dietitians in BC can partner with food brands or companies. However, there are some important considerations, unquote, end quote. These considerations from the rest of the notes, I'll just summarize, include the difference between a recommendation and an endorsement, and also complete transparency about the benefits of the endorsement for the dietitian. So this is, again, speaking to what we were just talking about, saying it's an ad. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Dietitians are also required to only ever recommend things that recommend things that are quote evidence informed or evidence based yeah. which brings us back to Lindsay's comments and the comments on her video around this um well, let's go back to, to that page comments the first <laughs> let's go one. back to for once we are going to look at the comments usually we don't look at the comments for self-care fire um but let's go back to that paid partnership post for a minute and um read through the comments uh jenny can you just read maybe the first like four to six comments not with replies but just the comments i just had to yeah. scroll a bit because i because i have a lot of friends actually that are registered dietitians right so yeah. they were all in there like praising the messaging publicly from right. their business dietetics accounts right saying which, like yes again, those accounts are regulated something. by the oh yeah, by yeah, their yeah. professional yeah. body right there's very yeah. clear social media guidelines oh, about yeah, what you're yeah. allowed to like and comment on with your professional pages Okay, here's a good one. Of course, it's a dude. Anyways. Is it Craig? Yeah. Craig. Okay, good. Craig says, so you were paid by the Canadian Sugar Lobby to post this. As a, quote, dietitian, this is disgusting. The body of scientific evidence showing the harmful effects of added refined sugars is huge. Selling your soul for a few bucks. Oh, I'm right. Craig is a dick. This one, always a good sign when it is um, a random word followed by a series of numbers. Um, okay. You're being paid to say this. Check out today's Washington Post article. 
Um, what's next? My doctor posts that watching TV is better than exercise paid for by Netflix. That's so dumb. Look, I agree that forbidding any food can be counterproductive, but taking money from a sugar lobby to say it's it is beyond say it is beyond the pill. Guys, proofread before you're gonna troll people. <laughs> so the dramatic rise in levels doesn't concern you as long as you are paid to shill for the sugar institute. Do I have that right? And you call yourself a dietitian. Once again, letters and numbers, people. <laughs> So clearly this article, this Washington Post article was very widely read. What good yeah. news for a newspaper. Um, but I do want to go back and read her reply to that first comment that Jenny read from our dear friend, Craig. Hi, Craig. I appreciate and understand your concern, but as an intuitive eating dietitian working with eating disorders slash disordered eating, this is my philosophy through and through. And it is my mission to help people heal their relationship with food. A big part of that, removing the morality and restriction around food. If you look through any of my content, you'll see that I am explicit in my partnerships and my messaging is in this is the same, whether a partnership or organic. I willingly participated in the interview with Washington Post, and it's disheartening to see that none of what I shared was included in regards to intuitive eating and the benefits of a non-diet approach. Of course, everyone is allowed to have their own opinion, and I understand where the questions come from. I just wish it were more of an actual conversation. I mean, this is just what we say so often. We need to have conversations. Having these accusatory statements and like highly emotive responses is not conducive to dialogue. I also called him a dick. So that would just be me calling myself. <laughs> you are that. also not part of the creating problem, but... a space to have a dialogue with Craig. No, but I wouldn't write that. That's like <laughs> it's and I think that's actually a good point. So when you read something and you're like, what the fuck? That's okay to have that in first response, but don't go type that. Do you know what I mean? Like when I worked in leadership within the hospital and I had to deal with complaints, you could always tell who just got angry and complained versus who went home, slept on it and came back and was like, hey, I've had a day to think about this. This happened, blah, 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 blah. And it always carried so much more weight and had so much of a better, more constructive outcome when people didn't just like knee jerk, especially from like a lot of these comments are totally from burner accounts. Yeah. Well, and you see like when you it's the name calling like you're a shill, you you know, it's it's the same thing. You're as a see. quote dietitian. Like, right. Right. Okay. It's the same thing that I think we see on a lot of medical professional social media accounts is like, yeah. You know, the second you say something people disagree with, they immediately go for your credentials because, you know, that's it's name calling or nothing. The people with literally no relevant credentials come after yours. I know you just right. can't make it up. And the thing is, like I said, having that first knee jerk reaction to anything, it's like very much human nature. It's totally fine to be triggered or upset or pissed off or whatever in regards to something but it's just how we as a society have decided that you need to act on that right away and tell people how you feel and it's like no you need to pause think and if you actually want to encourage and change people's minds all this stuff like you need to have back and forth and back and forth doesn't happen when you're just yelling or name calling or you know what I mean it's just stupid it's counterproductive well, and I think, you know, you and I were just talking about this offline before we started recording, but, the, you know, this is the difference between going into something with the 
idea that you're going to have a dialogue versus going mm-hmm. into something with the idea that you're going to change somebody's mind. Right. Right. I know. I think, I mean, yes, we know the comments on a social media post are not the way that anybody's mind is going to be changed. Especially when you're talking but... about a burner account. <laughs> <laughs> but even for our dear friend, Craig, right? Yeah. Craig, Craig doesn't, I, I mean, Lindsay's response is thoughtful and, you know, respectful and, you know, really acknowledging where Craig is coming from. But Mm -hmm. Craig doesn't necessarily want to hear that. Right. No. And she must have known ahead of time, too. Do you know what I mean? Like, not a dumb person. She 100 percent knew when she, uh, you know, agreed to this Mm -hmm. that, yeah, that this was going to be feedback she got. Well, and it's really tricky because, you know, the reality is people have to make money. I think, unfortunately, mm-hmm. with so many regulated healthcare professionals right now, we're not seeing the monetary value of the education and work reflective no, of the amen. work that's actually being done. I did a little bit of Googling. According to Glassdoor, the average salary for a registered dietitian in Vancouver is $48,000 a year, mm-hmm. keeping in mind the average two-bedroom apartment is renting for 3918 so that's $47,000 a year. So while we work to always be hard on systems and soft on people, I think you'd be hard pressed not to wrap your head around why somebody would choose a paid partnership. But I think what is that conversation like if somebody is offering to pay you for messaging that A, you agree with and B, are already saying, which I think is Mm -hmm. what we see here with this example. Well, and if you look at any other thing within the sponsored post world, if you're like, I don't know, a lifestyle blogger and your house is full of article furniture and articles like, hey, do you want a do paid partnership, blah, blah, blah. You're like, yeah, I love your stuff. Like this is a no brainer. Right. And nobody is then going to go back and say, you're a shill for article furniture. Right. Right. It's like, it's just, yeah. I mean, if you're looking into collaborations, collaborations on things that you already love and are doing are just like slam dunks. Like, yeah, of course. Great. Yeah. And I do think it is important to be mindful that when somebody is specifically seeking out, you know, evidence-based information and we get into this place of paid partnership crossover, Mm -hmm. um, I I do think it's a little bit murky and I don't think it's easy to just say, you know, this is always okay and there's never a conflict of interest. Um, I think... I found it very interesting. This Washington Post article briefly touches on influencer dietitians recommending supplements that aren't evidence-based, like collagen, another great episode we did in the spring of this year, if you did not listen to that. Um, I can't speak to U.S. regulations around this, as I said, but I will say I find it so interesting that we have this total disconnect between the content that is created by wellness influencers Mm -hmm. versus that which is created by registered dietitians. Now, I think, again, when somebody is responsible to a professional body, it's important to acknowledge that. But like Lindsay, who we were just talking about, has 20.2K followers. Gwyneth Paltrow has 8.3 million. (laughs) While I don't disagree, we need to disclose paid partnerships and that people, of course, will have different expectations from a celebrity than a registered health professional. I do think it's important that we call out reach and influence. Mm -hmm. Gwenny doesn't label every single post that she's making money on. And she 100% is. And I feel like we talk about that in our Goop episode, how Mm -hmm. there's a lot of products that she doesn't sell, but I was like, there's a very high chance there's affiliate links within this. And that's also fine. Like there's nothing wrong 
with using affiliate links. But there's a disclosure component that's important when you're a big brand. You know what I mean? Like there's just... Yeah. And I think this is it, right? I think the disclosure is actually important regardless of if you're like a teeny tiny little account that got like free samples or if you're, you know, Gwyneth, because this is the transparency that people need. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think especially when this is, I think where it starts to get really murky because people don't have the level of media literacy mm-hmm. that allows them to say, oh, you know what, this you know registered dietitian that I've been following for a long time has said all of these other things. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, there's this paid post that doesn't really match up mm-hmm. with what they're saying. I think that's a very different experience than if you're seeing already existing content from this person that says things like, you know, put dessert on your kid's plate with their meal and, you know, don't be afraid to eat the ice cream. Then you see a paid partnership with that same messaging. I think that's a very different experience. Mm -hmm. But again, people don't necessarily have the media literacy to recognize when something is, has continuity and when something does not. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, is in North America, we don't have the same advertising if you follow any accounts from the UK, like they have to in their stories, it has to say like ad in a big, bold font. Um, like it's very, very clear that it's an ad and it's a regulatory thing. And it's not a bad thing at all. And I think the other thing is, is there's nothing wrong with selling stuff through your account. Like if that's your business, if your business is based off of your Instagram account, like of course, you're going to sell things and get paid for, for you know, all that stuff. But I also guarantee you that Lindsay looked into her college and her, whether she was allowed to, like, of course, she looked into that ahead of time. This is, I think, the other thing that is very weird about the time that we live in right now is that people have an expectation that the free content that they are consuming via social media Mm -hmm. should be held to the same standard as, for example, Lindsay offers a paid program where you Mm -hmm. can work with her one-on-one and heal your relationship with food and do all the things that she creates free content for Mm -hmm. on her social media. I I also think it's very interesting the way that we expect that constantly somebody is able to pump out free content with no remuneration for that whatsoever right i like people can afford to just like spend all their time hours on their branding and everything for free forever it's like right she's a private practice dietitian she's actually like you really are looking for direct accurate nutrition information from a registered dietitian then you pay them for their knowledge and they will work with you one-on-one and it's not like a holistic coach who's helping you heal your relationship with food like she's trained to work with people on their disordered eating right that is literally her (laughs) area of expertise and that is also of note like that is separately regulated and ruled from social media content for registered dietitians so Again, it's, you know, we have this expectation that somebody who's an expert is just constantly going to be giving information for free. And then we get mad when that doesn't happen in the box that we like it in. Mm -hmm. But we're also unwilling to pay for that information. (laughs) Or we don't need to pay for it too, right? Like you could follow, like, like if you are not someone who's experienced disordered eating, 
you you genuinely may not have the need for private coaching her, on it but or you her enjoy, content or even yeah. right yeah or if you could enjoy her recipe content you could enjoy, right. you know what i mean there's all sorts yeah. of i don't know we have this world that I mean, we all have to afford to live in in some way, shape or form, but then we shit on people for making money. I don't know. Well, and again, I think this is that disconnect, right? Like where we don't see that happening for Mm -hmm. wellness influencers. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So there's a, there's a little bit of that. um, Again, I know scandal is a tough word to use, but um, there's a, there's a little bit of a smattering of a deep dive on aspartame, a little bit about <laughs> dietitians and a little bit about paid partnerships and social media. So you get, you get a little bit of everything in today's episode. <laughs> Dose makes poison. Always. Dose makes a poison. We live in a capitalist hellscape. Yeah. Please pay for information from registered professionals if you need it. Thanks so much for listening to Nile. We really appreciate your support. And if you could do us a big favor and subscribe and share this podcast, it would mean the world to us.